I'm back from Portland. This week on the show, we break down everything that happened at NXT TakeOver. We start to look forward to WrestleMania, the ruthless aggression era, and what era we're in today. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Fresh from NXT TakeOver Portland, right to the airport, onto a plane, and into your hearts. This is Not Sam Wrestling. A couple hours late if you're used to getting it right on the drop, but hey, literally came back from the airport, kissed the wife, kissed the babies. Right into the Not Sam studio. Right to rap with you for this week's Not Sam Wrestling. President's Day or no President's Day in these United States of America. It's not Monday without Not Sam Wrestling. We can't start our week without Not Sam Wrestling. So here we are just off of uh, TakeOver. And we've got a lot to talk about, a lot to unpack with NXT TakeOver Portland. I think the first takeover that was an NXT standalone takeover where it wasn't a big deal. It was almost a secondary that it was a standalone NXT takeover. NXT has gotten so big that you would expect it. It's not weird that they would have their own standalone event. Standalone event. But we'll get there. We'll get there today. I wanted to start, so I did get a chance... While I was in Portland, I was happy to see. I woke up, you know, I was on uh, West Coast time. So I woke up extra early there on Sunday before, you know, on the, yesterday, the day of takeover. So I had a little time to myself, and I was happy to see that the Ruthless Aggression documentary series, episode one, had already been uploaded to the WWE Network. Um, I was psyched because I, I've been looking forward to this. Look, I, I think I talked about it before. The Monday Night Wars documentary series was, and still is, one of my favorite things on the WWE Network. When the WWE Network debuted, and they had, you know, the whole pay-per-view library, WWE, WCW, ECW, the whole thing. I was like, yeah, of course. The TV libraries, the Monday Night Raws, the Nitros, the whole thing. I was like, yeah. Although I don't think they had Nitro when they first debuted. I think that came later. But you know what I'm saying. I was like, just for the content library, I'm here for it. But when I saw the originals that were being produced, the documentaries specifically, I got really excited. And I feel like that has become something that WWE is more, and maybe there's more people who watch the network that like this. This is just my own personal preference. I mean, I like, uh, I like the photo shoot series. I like Table for Three. But it seems like there are more instances of shows like that that are either a little bit more recent and topical or a little bit more just, hey, let's get this guy's take on things than full-on documentaries. And that makes sense. Maybe people don't watch the documentaries. Maybe they're expensive to produce. Maybe both. I don't know. But I loved the Monday Night Wars series. The Monday Night Wars series got a little bit repetitive because it wasn't necessarily a 10-part, I think it was 10, a 10-part narrative 
show the way a lot of docuseries are. The Monday Night Wars WWE Network series was like, they had a different topic for each episode that happened over the course of the Monday Night Wars. So you had a Goldberg episode. You had an NWO episode. You had a DX episode. You had, you know, it wasn't necessarily focusing on specific events, more characters and people and stuff like that. And what ended up happening is you created these Venn diagrams where there was a lot of crossover, which is fine for me. You know, I didn't, I didn't mind it. I've still watched every one of them four or five times a piece. I mean, it's pathetic at this point, but uh, I was super psyched to see that they were doing it with the ruthless aggression era, because the one thing about the Monday Night Wars era, the Attitude era is that the stories have been told to death. Everybody considers the Attitude Era, this golden era, and everybody considers it history. You're talking about when wrestling was at its most popular in terms of crossing over into the pop culture. That's the Attitude Era. You're talking about your biggest stars in wrestling. I would say, you know, having The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Undertaker, DX, Mick Foley, all under one roof, all at the same time, in all in their prime. Yeah, that's your biggest star power in the history of the business. Not to mention you had a competing show where you had the NWO involving Hulk Hogan, involving Randy Savage, involving Hall and Nash. You had Goldberg. You had Bret Hart. Like, it was all happening. It's all happening. But all those stories have been told. You know, the Montreal Screwjob. Every single angle has been covered. Now, I will continue. Somebody puts out a podcast today about the Montreal Screwjob. I'm like, I want to get to the bottom of this. I'd like to listen to whoever's take it is. You know, I could listen to those stories over and over and over again. But they are stories that you've heard over and over and over again. I feel like the ruthless aggression era, because, you know, it seems like it was more recent than it was. You don't think about the ruthless aggression era and realize you're talking Almost 20 years ago at this point, you're talking over 15 years ago that this era that became known as the Ruthless Aggression Era started. This is the first real taste of it being treated as history. I feel like Batista going into the Hall of Fame, this documentary series, you know, probably Batista coming back at WrestleMania is when you started to realize like, oh, oh, this era that gave us the births of John Cena and Randy Orton and Batista and Brock Lesnar and this whole army of talent. It's become a historical era. Like, it's an era that has gone by. The Ruthless Aggression era is long over. And you go, wow, I can't believe that this is history. And these stories haven't been told for a couple of reasons. Not just because... It feels so recent and it doesn't really click in that it's history, but also because you don't have that many perspectives on it. You have the perspectives of the guys who lived it, right? But you don't have like in the Attitude Era, you don't have WCW that's there to say like, oh, this is what the war was like from our perspective. You know, you don't have that Monday Night War perspective where you've got two different sides telling their stories. Even the the quote unquote golden era, the Hogan era, the the WrestleMania era, whatever you want to call it, you had 
other territories. You had WCW coming up, but you had tons of other territories that were slowly being weeded out by the WWE. And you had those perspectives. Now you're talking about the first time that the WWE really starts to lay claim to the fact that they're not only the biggest game in town, but they're the only game in town that's anywhere near to that level. Independent wrestling still exists, but really in the Ruthless Aggression era, it wasn't healthy. Wrestling was WWE at that time. And so I guess history is told by the victors, and that's what we're left with. And and it's up to the WWE to go, okay, now it's time for you to hear some of those stories. So, you know, I'm excited because I feel like it's not ground that's been treaded so much before. And at least not told, you know, you've heard stories and people have told their stories, but at least not told in this sort of context that this documentary series documentary series is being told based on the first episode it seems like they're going narrative that this is going to be I think it's either six or seven parts and based on the first episode it feels like it's going to be six or seven parts that tell a complete story over the course of six or seven hours not this week we're talking about this next week we're talking about that next week we're talking about that uh, which I like better. That's my preference because I just, I mean, it's that long form story arc. I love my stories. You guys know that. That's what wrestling is all about for me, the stories. So I love that the, even when you're telling the behind the scenes that we're telling it in a way that's a fully formed story. So I like that. Um, there were a couple of things I liked about it. First of all, whoever got Brian Gewertz to sit down and talk in detail about his time as a head writer in that era deserves a raise because Brian Gewertz, his line, what sold me on him as kind of, I mean, he was the lead voice, I think, in that first episode. And I hope he's going to be the lead voice in every episode because, you know, they really pick up from exactly where the Monday Night Wars left off. Like this is called the Ruthless Aggression series or whatever it's called ruthless aggression but realistically i feel like this is a companion piece you're going to be able to look at the monday night wars documentary series and then pick right up into the ruthless aggression aggression documentary series and you're now kind of getting the history of wwe told to you i think that's what the role of this series is going to be but brian wars comes in and he's talking about uh you know the monday night wars being over and the invasion angle starting and having all of this WCW talent now that they're out of business and not having the main event talent, but having the talent that they had because so much of the main event talent had their other contracts, but they get into the match between Booker T and Buff Bagwell that happened on Monday night raw, where it was before the invasion angle had technically started. And it was let's experiment the last segment on Raw or two segments, or I think it was just one segment. But they said the last segment on Raw is going to be WCW. And WCW referee Nick Patrick is going to be the referee. And I think the commentators were Arn Anderson and Scott Hudson. And it was like, we're washing our hands of this and we're going to show you WCW. And, you know, it got booed out of the building. Because, like, here's the thing. And this was the problem. I One of the problems with WCW was that the brand was not protected. So I, I think ultimately, what one of the things that went wrong with WCW creatively was that 
the NWO had so much invested in it because it was so cool. The NWO was such a force in wrestling. I mean, I think from a creative standpoint, it wasn't WCW that beat WWE in the ratings every week. It was the NWO that was beating the WWE in the ratings every week. But the whole point of the NWO was to talk about how garbage WCW was and to bury WCW at every turn and and to just ridicule any nerd that would still be wrestling for WCW. So because of that, when the NWO kind of ran its course and wasn't so cool anymore, there had been so much damage done to the WCW brand by the NWO that you couldn't get behind WCW. You just sat there for two years talking about how much WCW sucks, NWO is for life. And you're like, ah, you know, NWO, I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of watered down. I'm not really into that anymore. But I've been saying WCW sucks for two years. I can't go back on that now. And by the way, WWE is putting out some of the most compelling television ever. Maybe I'll switch channels. Now, at the same token, WWE spent even more time upping their brand and lowering WCW brands and 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 showcasing WCW as a secondary brand and as a brand, uh, you know, as an old folks home and, and really an inferior product because that's what was good for business at the time. Because in order to showcase WWE as a superior product, you had to showcase WCW as an inferior product. Now what ends up happening is you got a bunch of WWE fans that are watching Raw who don't want to see WCW. The WWE fans that are watching Raw were cheering when WWE won the war. So those are the same fans that were sitting there going, you know, I don't want to see WCW. I paid a ticket to see WWE. That was where it started to go wrong, I think. And then it was just not, it just didn't click. But there's this great moment that I had forgotten about in the doc when uh, they play a clip of Arn Anderson on commentary talking about what a big deal this was WCW's first match on Monday Night Raw and saying it was bigger than the moon landing. And then they just go to Brian Gowertz going, uh, I think Arn Anderson said that it was bigger than the moon landing. Uh, it was not bigger than the moon landing. I was just like, what What a guy that Brian Gowertz is. I thought he was awesome. Um, I thought having Bruce Pritchard back, obviously from his podcast, we know what a good storyteller he is. Having him back in the fold in WWE and allowing him to be able to be another one of the voices of this era, I think is a real, real, real positive. Um, I was surprised to see Jim Cornette pop up. I was surprised, really surprised to see Mark Jindrak pop up. And I hope Mark Jindrak continues to pop up because I think the old story is that Jindrak was supposed to be in Evolution. I think he might have supposed to have had Batista's spot in Evolution. I'm not 100% sure. I'm assuming that'll get answered. But hopefully that's one of the reasons he's there. But he gave a good perspective into how the WCW talent was was used and how it felt going in and everything. Um, you know, there were a couple of of points with the with the with the narrative of of the show and of the ruthless aggression era. So I think they and they touched on this, but they kind of made it seem like the reason the ruthless aggression era needed to start was because, you know the invasion angle didn't go well. Sorry. Oh, I, quite hear you. I thought somebody Could was talking to me. That's my Siri going off. And I don't know why Siri was going off. Um, I don't think that ruthless aggression 
had much to do with WCW's invasion angle not going right. I mean, I think that most of the WCW stars were burned out by that point anyway. Like, I don't think... When the big stars did end up getting to WWE, it was just kind of a short-term fix. You know, the NWO didn't work in WWE anymore because it had ran its course in WCW. Goldberg, I don't think, wanted to be in WWE. And even if he had, you know, he's not going to be the same Goldberg. Like, WWE is not going to allow Goldberg to win five-minute matches over their entire roster the way WCW did. You know, all these, it's just a different beast. I think the reason the Ruthless Aggression era had to begin was primarily because WWE lost The Rock and Steve Austin, and they touched on that. But I think they spent way more time on the invasion stuff than they did The Rock and Steve Austin. And realistically speaking, that's why the Ruthless Aggression era started because there was no big star. There was no, here's the number one person. And the reason there was no, here's the number one person is because The Rock and Stone Cold were gone. You know, that's when, it wasn't like there was this day on a calendar where they said, okay, that's officially the end of the Attitude Era. This is officially the beginning of the Ruthless Aggression Era. Now what are we going to do? It was The Rock's going to Hollywood and Steve Austin's fed up. And even when Steve Austin comes back, he doesn't have that much left in him because, you know, he's he's injured. He's 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 run himself roughshod over the last however many years. So what are we going to do without The Rock and Steve Austin? And that's where it comes in. I think it has, you know, I, I, I think that the fact that there was no competition anymore uh, and the fact that the invasion thing didn't work, I don't think that that's, what led to the Ruthless Aggression Era. I think it was a lack of The Rock and Steve Austin. I think if you'd still had The Rock and Steve Austin on those shows, you would have been able to keep going the way you had been going for a little while longer. Um, I also thought it was really, really weird. First of all, I could watch an entire documentary or maybe a whole docu-series about the transition of WWF to WWE. The one thing WWE does well, is branding. Branding, branding, branding. Branding names, branding characters. So WWF had just been, they had made it synonymous with wrestling. What is that, that WWF stuff? Anything wrestling was WWF. It was, everybody knew that. You didn't, even if you knew nothing else about wrestling, you knew those three letters. So the fact that they had to change their name was a big deal from that respect. It was also a big deal to the fans who had been married to this product for so long, who who those letters, I mean, were so ingrained in their childhood. It was like if He-Man was like, hey, we're going to start calling him Strong Dude. But even more so because that would that would screw you up as an adult because you're sitting there going like, my whole childhood he was He-Man. What do you mean he's not He-Man anymore? Now imagine if you had continued to watch He-Man actively from the time you were a child up until you were an adult. That's what happened with that WWE thing. I thought it was weird that they didn't spend more time on it, and I thought it was super weird that they made it seem like it was like, well, Vince decided it was time to get the F out. And I'm like, I don't think Vince decided that. I'm pretty sure that was decided by the uh, court of laws. You know, I don't think that if WWE had the choice, they would have changed their name because... That's an expensive proposition, and that's a lot of work to get done. When you 
have lost when you are losing your main stars and the brand that you've built over the last 30 years. Yeah, I would say that that's right. Or 25 years, however much it was at that point. Yeah, I would say that's probably not something that you want to do, something that you have to do. So, I mean, there must be some reason that they wanted to make it seem like it wasn't. And they did make it seem like some people thought it wasn't the best thing in the world. But, you know, I'm sure that Vince McMahon was an optimist about it once he once he knew it had to happen. I'm sure that he did go, well, this will be a good thing. It'll it will rebrand ourselves. And they did. The fact that they went with entertainment instead of they could have been World Wrestling Group, World Wrestling Council, World Wrestling anything. But the fact that they went WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment, so it's not, I mean, it completely changed what the name of the company meant. You could just change the word and maintain. But I think that's why it was so jarring for people because they completely changed what the company meant. And then from that, they completely changed the company. So... I think that that they did spin a negative into a positive ultimately, but I don't think it was quite like it was portrayed uh, in the documentary. Uh, but as I was watching, uh, I, I, I was trying to figure out like what makes the next era, you know, like what, first of all, what is the era that follows ruthless aggression? Some people talk about like the reality era, but, I mean, I think that was just a thing that was said. I don't think there actually is a reality era. I don't think that there has been a cemented era since ruthless aggression. And I think that's because of one man, John Cena. I was thinking about this, and I really think that the reason eras are formed is because it's time to find new stars. I think that's the whole reason eras exist. You know, you talk about the golden era or the WrestleMania era or whatever you want to call it, but realistically, it was the Hogan era. And that's why it's not even, it doesn't even have an official name because it was just the Hogan era. You know, WrestleMania won through, I mean, pretty much WrestleMania 9 or, I mean, you could probably push to 10. I know he wasn't around after WrestleMania 9 really, but, but, those nine years, say, 85 to 94, maybe 85 to 93, probably. Yeah, 85 to 93 was, realistically speaking, the Hogan era. And he would dip in and he would dip out, but he was never not the biggest star. And there were other people that held the title, the Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man Randy Savage. But at the end of the day, it was... Hulk Hogan is synonymous with that era. The whole nine years of it. You also never know how long an era is going to last, right? Eras can be long, eras can be short. So that's why I think, like, it, you can call it the golden era, you can call it the Federation years, you can call it the WrestleMania era. But the headline there is, it's the Hogan era. The era after the Hogan era is the new generation. I think the reason the new and that's that's an era, right? That that it's called that it was branded that. But, you know, I what was it before the new generation? What the world is watching. I you know, I don't know. I think the reason that the new generation was created is because they realized they didn't have Hogan. And so without Hogan, 
we need to create a bigger brand. As we look for who the next big superstar is going to be, this has to be bigger. We have to build this group of stars that we have now. So the new Hogan is actually the new generation. It's this entire group of people. And look, we've got the future. And out of that new generation comes Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Now, as WWE says goodbye to Bret Hart, and as Shawn Michaels says goodbye to WWE, we're looking, we're going, hmm, okay, they're not going to be carrying us through long term. Also, we never really settled on which one of those two was the guy. You could argue either one of those two, but I, I think that, again, that's why the new generation is the new generation. It was carried. I mean, you know, Diesel was the champion for a year. The new generation, let's say, lasted 93 to 96. Three years, a lot shorter than the Hogan run. And for one of full year of those three years, Diesel was the champion. But still, it wasn't Diesel's era. I love Diesel. He was my favorite wrestler when I was a kid in that, you know, three-year span. But that wasn't Diesel's era. That really was the era of building Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. But again, not one guy. That moves into the Attitude Era. And I think the reason it becomes the Attitude Era is because the WWE realized the product needed a change, but they hadn't quite landed on Steve Austin yet. They hadn't quite landed and said, he's our guy. Because the Attitude Era kicks in as Shawn Michaels is on his way out and Stone Cold Steve Austin wins that first title. But here's the unique thing. The WWE decides Stone Cold Steve Austin is the guy. And it could have been, okay, now it's going to morph into just the Steve Austin era. But The Rock showed up. And The Rock becomes just as big a star for a period of time. So now again, you're there with two people. It maintains the Attitude Era because you can't exactly give it to them. Plus, the star power right below them is enormous. Mr. McMahon, by the way, The Undertaker, the rise of Triple H, you know, the whole thing. So then coming off the Attitude Era, it doesn't become one, one person's era again because you lose your top stars. You lose The Rock and you lose Steve Austin. So now the quest to find the next top guy is ruthless aggression. I think the reason why there is no specific era in my mind that follows ruthless aggression organically is because ruthless aggression became the John Cena era. You know, from for, I don't know, the better part of 10 years, it was John Cena's the guy. John, it was, it's the John Cena era. I think that the, the, the ruthless aggression era rolls out into the John Cena era because you can't argue that he was, that the, you know, he's, he's far and away the top star in the company and the company revolved around him for a period of time. It did blow my mind, by the way, that after WrestleMania 29, he didn't have a main event 
at WrestleMania. That was his last main event ever at a WrestleMania. But I think that's interesting because WrestleMania 30, so give John the John Cena era from like maybe WrestleMania 25 to WrestleMania 30. So you got like five years in there. You know, where, it, and, 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 you know, he gets a lot of credit during the Ruthless Aggression era, too. But I'd say there's at least five years, if not more. Maybe even, ah, uh, you might need to give him 24, too. It started, well, 23 is John Cena versus Shawn Michaels. Yeah, it goes before 25. So say WrestleMania 20, John Cena wins the U.S. title. 21, he wins the world title. But I still feel like that's Ruthless Aggression. So really from 22 to 29, those WrestleManias is the John Cena era. We come out of that and we just get into this weird place because it feels like, okay, we want to maintain this thing that we have. We, want, we don't want to search for another top star. We just want the star power of a John Cena, but we want another one. So, you know, I guess WrestleMania 30, they want to have Batista be the transitional guy, but Daniel Bryan comes along. So, oh, maybe this is going to be the Daniel Bryan era. I feel like WrestleMania 30, up until recently, is an era defined by fan disruptance. To me, that that is the first era where it was, it's kind of the fan revolt era. And they made a storyline out of it to start with, with Daniel Bryan, you know, being the little engine that could going to WrestleMania and having his moment. But the problem is then Daniel Bryan gets injured and goes away for a while. And after that, clearly, this is supposed to be Roman Reigns era, but the fans won't accept Roman Reigns. The fans won't let the Roman Reigns era get started because they're booing him worse than they ever booed John Cena. And I think that for the last five years, we've kind of been in a holding pattern where we've been trying to see where this dust settles. And also, John Cena wasn't really gone yet at WrestleMania 30. John Cena really wasn't gone until this year. And I think that the idea that over the last two or three years was to have John Cena kind of transition out and pass the ball to somebody else. And John Cena, try as he might, the fans just didn't accept where that ball was getting passed. I think that now, now we're in a space where we're going to start defining what this era means. I think we're finally looking at the beginning of whatever the post-John Cena era is. Because now you've got an argument. Now we are officially on the hunt for who your top guy is, and there is an argument for it. Roman Reigns was the, was the no-brainer, but then he got sick and went away for a while. And we said, what does it look like without Roman Reigns? Even before he went away. It looked like there was flirtation with maybe making Braun Strowman the top guy. Uh, I don't think so. Roman Reigns goes away. Let's give Seth the ball for a year or so. What if we turn Seth heel? I still don't think it's fair to say that Seth is not 
in conversation to be the top guy. It's just a different version of Seth. You know, I think Seth now is the set that we've been waiting for this entire time. But now you got Drew McIntyre who's popping up. And I think when you look at WrestleMania this year, whoever, you know, Roman Reigns, you have to imagine, is going to have the Universal Championship match. And I think he should have the Universal Championship match. This is a guy who has been back since, I mean, I feel like close to a year. He's been back for a long time now. And hasn't been anywhere near the conversation for the Universal Championship. He has had 2,844 matches with Baron Corbin, successful in many of them. I think that it's time to see what it looks like when he's back in that Universal title picture. The question is, who's he going to face? What's the choice? You know, is it is it a matter of having Roman Reigns be the guy to finally defeat The Fiend? which I don't think people will be very happy about. Is it Goldberg defeats The Fiend, leaving everybody pissed off, and then having Roman Reigns beat Goldberg? That's a possibility. But either way, whether he's fighting Goldberg, whether he's fighting uh, The Fiend, whether it's a triple threat with Baron Corbin, or it's just another dog food Universal Championship rematch with Baron Corbin, I don't think Roman Reigns gets that main event spot at WrestleMania. I think right now, right now what we know, know for WrestleMania is Drew McIntyre versus Brock Lesnar, Charlotte versus Rhea Ripley. Obviously, in a few weeks, it's Elimination Chamber. Once that happens, I think the, then the card really starts to flesh out. There's rumors that uh, it's going to be AJ Styles versus The Undertaker, which I think I suggested that match years ago. But yeah, I mean... I'm for that match 150% if that's what's happening. You know, I think that AJ Styles is the perfect opponent for The Undertaker. Um, but I don't. I think that regardless of who Roman Reigns is facing, he can't be in that last match. I think if you listen to the audience, the only match that you can have last at WrestleMania this year is Drew McIntyre versus Brock Lesnar. I think you're looking at a WrestleMania where we close the show with Drew McIntyre potentially conquering the Beast and the audience cheering for him, which hasn't happened recently. I mean, it happened last year. Becky Lynch, the good guy, wins and gets cheered, and that was a great main event. But in the years before that, the good guy won and he got booed, you know? I think that Drew McIntyre, the support for him is so strong and people believe in him so much that you can do a five or six hour show, however long WrestleMania is going to be, and people will still cheer for Drew McIntyre. And it will feel like a moment if Drew McIntyre gets one. But to me, the fact that we're now looking at Drew McIntyre as being that guy makes me feel like, okay, this is this is an era we're entering into. Because, you know... I don't think that there were long-term plans. I don't think when Drew McIntyre came back to NXT, I don't even think when Drew McIntyre was on the main roster that it was just a given, well, he's the next guy. I think it was just like, well, Drew's looking better. Drew's got it. There's all the potential that I saw in Drew. Let's just see where this goes. And now we've gotten to a place where it's like, oh my God, I think he's the guy. And when we can acknowledge that and move with that, I think that's when we've entered in 
to an era. What's the name of this era? I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know that the fan disruptance era, I mean, historically, maybe they'll try to call it the Roman Reigns era, but really it, it, it was, it was a fan disruptance era. To me, it goes ruthless aggression era, John Cena era, fan disruptance era, and then whatever we're about to enter into. But I'm excited to see whatever we're about to enter into. Hey, if I could take a break for a second and thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this episode of Not Sam Wrestling. And I'll tell you why specifically I thank Blue Chew for this episode. I told you guys, I just got off a red eye, right? I'm exhausted. I spent 24 hours in Portland, had a adrenaline dump after uh, being a part of the NXT TakeOver pre-show, get on an airplane, sleep in an uncomfortable seat for, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half, get back home, do a podcast. What happens if after I'm done with this podcast, my wife is like, hey, Sam, you've been gone. I need a dose of that vitamin D. I'm like, vitamin what? She's like, you know, physical intimacy. We got two kids, Sam. It's not a secret. But just because we have the two kids doesn't mean you don't need to do it anymore. I can't sit there and say, honey, I'm tired. I can't sit there and say, oh, I don't think I have it in me right now. No, because you know what she's going to say? Yeah, it's not in either one of us right now. You catch my drift? She's going to be heated. So here's what I do instead. Papa Blue Chew, baby. Papa Blue Chew, they make it all possible. They save my relationship. They're going to make it so that my wife is not upset with me because I'm never too tired. I'm never too tired to not only give my partner what she needs, but I can also do it with the confidence of knowing that I'm performing at my best. Look, Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. And you don't have to get weird about it. You don't have to be awkward. It's prescribed online by licensed physicians. You never have to go to the doctor's office. You don't have to wait in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The mailman isn't even going to know what it is. Nobody's going to know. It can be our little secret. They're made in the USA. And since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. What have you got to lose? I don't know. Maybe just the tension between you and your partner. What have you got to gain? A whole lot of fun. That's what you've got to gain. And thanks to me and this here podcast, you could do it for free. That's right. Not Sam Wrestling listeners get to try Blue Chew for free. Just visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use our promo code Roberts, R-O-B-E-R-T-S. Just pay $5 shipping. That's B-L-U-E, chew.com, promo code Roberts to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. Uh, Speaking of WrestleMania, whatever we're about to enter into, how about what we just came off of last night? TakeOver Portland did not disappoint. One of the most uh, loaded TakeOver cards of all time in terms of quantity and quality. Six matches instead of five. All of them with a story. All of them highly anticipated. All of them really good. It was a very good takeover. Um, but I had a couple of thoughts coming out of it. And I definitely think there's a lot to unpack with it. First of all, I think in a broader picture, takeover 
is in a different place now. In a broader picture, TakeOver is now in this space where this is not the NXT that's on the WWE Network. This is NXT that's on USA every week. You know, NXT as a brand and as a product is bigger. And I think TakeOver should reflect that. I think that it's not sort of the hidden secret on the WWE Network anymore. Now it's big business. Now it's the major leagues. And so I do think that as we go forward, as much as you don't want to disrupt the formula that's been working, TakeOver is is kind of this collection of amazing matches for hardcore wrestling fans. And I think we might need to push a little bit of the E in there. And it, not a lot. The E for entertainment. I just think I what I've been saying about NXT for a long time. NXT is my favorite wrestling brand in the world. NXT is my favorite show to watch. TakeOvers are my favorite pay-per-views to watch. I do think that you need more storyline. And we saw that a little bit last night. I just think that that you need this thing that's compelling you to watch beyond the guarantee of great matches. So my thoughts on the matches themselves coming out of it, uh, Dominic Dijakovic, Keith Lee, no shocker that they did great, that the match was tremendous. Um, wasn't shocked at how the result went either. I think it was uh, just an exhibition for Keith Lee. It was a good news for Dominic Dijakovic, a way to get him on takeover. But, you know, without a story going in, I, I think instead of rushing a story and having a match with Keith Lee, they were like, look, let's just have the match that we know will be good. And that's what they did. I think that leading to, theoretically, you may be losing Rhea Ripley off of takeover Tampa. Right? WrestleMania weekend, because she's got her match at WrestleMania. And it's not so much that they wouldn't have her wrestle two nights in a row. It's more, how do you build an NXT Women's Championship match at TakeOver knowing that the real match is happening the next night at WrestleMania? So I would imagine that at the next TakeOver, you're not looking at a Women's Championship match. Um, without Rhea Ripley, I think it becomes even more important that Keith Lee have a story that, that Keith Lee really go into the next takeover with something compelling. It should be a story that feels personal that we all care about. It should also be a threat to Keith Lee. Cause that's the thing about Keith Lee is that he has dominated everybody. And realistically he won that North American title, but people were looking at him as a potential main eventer. People were looking at Keith Lee as somebody that could challenge for that NXT championship. And I think people still do. And I think people need to, or, or, or NXT needs to showcase Keith Lee's North American championship being in danger, thus adding prestige to that title. You know, I want to see Keith Lee have to fight to keep that title, not be like, okay, Keith Lee is obviously a future world champion, so in the meantime, he's going to hang on to this title. That's not what NXT is about. You know, NXT is so good at, at placing value on their championships. And I think it'll place even more value on that North American championship if he goes into the next takeover 
with a real rivalry with somebody. Um, you know, I don't know who that would be just yet. Who knows what's going on with Timothy Thatcher or Killer Cross? You got to, you know, six weeks or however long it is to get to WrestleMania in the next takeover. So maybe you could tell a story there. But, you know, maybe there's something we can do with Velveteen Dream and Keith Lee. Where neither one of them necessarily has to turn heel. It's just kind of a dream match, you know? I, I don't know other than that. Because I don't, you know, I don't think you need a Roderick Strong Keith Lee rematch at TakeOver. Not that it would be a bad match, but just we've kind of already seen it. And, you know, I feel like with the Undisputed Era now losing all of the titles, I don't know, watching them try to regain them in another takeover is kind of like, okay, with the Undisputed Era in these title matches. So I don't know who that would be, but I'm interested in turning on NXT this week and starting to look in terms of, okay, what does the North American Championship title picture look like? We all know what the... NXT championship title picture looks like. What does the North American title picture look like? And I think that's what Keith Lee has to define going forward. Uh, Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox, uh, brutality. They just knocked the you-know-what out of each other. Um, and, and I mean, made it seem real. I loved that the, 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 that street fight happened. I loved that there was multiple women's matches with multiple stories, you know, and that people were behind it as much as they were. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was really good. I, you know, I, I didn't mind Dakota Kai winning through interference and having Dakota Kai have a, have a heavy, have a bodyguard, have a second. You know, I think Dakota Kai is amazing. I think she's a, she's a great heel. She's really good in the position that she's in. Um, I, I love this story. I, I do wish that they would tell more of the story of Dakota Kai's motivation to turn on Tegan Knox. that it wasn't just like, Hey, Dakota Kai's a bad guy now. So she's turning on Tegan Knox. Like that story was so well told leading to war games. That was the story of basically Dakota Kai's friends, not having faith in her. Tegan Knox can pretend, Oh, I was so excited to be in this war games match with you. But Tegan Knox is the one who went to SmackDown during the invasion and picked Rhea Ripley as a tag partner when Dakota Kai was her tag team partner. Tegan Knox is the one who went on Rhea Ripley's War Games team, even though Rhea Ripley was like, sorry, Dakota, you're not on the team. She sat at the cool girls table and let Dakota Kai go and sit by herself. It wasn't until they really needed somebody that they said, okay, Dakota, you can be with us. Which, you know, nobody likes that. So. I, I think that that, that 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 motivation is there. And I'd like to say, you could have utilized it a little bit. But Dakota Kai is so good as a bad guy. I think she's great. Um, I would give match of the night to Finn Balor versus Johnny Gargano. I thought it was tremendous. I mean, that that kick off the table where Gargano just went flying off the table into the barricade, I thought it was beautiful. Finn Balor is just so good, man. He's so good. I thought there was a story in that match. I love that Finn Balor got the clean victory. I love clean victories at TakeOver. I love that these TakeOver matches are just clean. Um, yeah, I thought that, for me, that was my favorite match of the night by a mile. I thought it was really, really something.
um, tag match. I thought that the outcome was right. I think that this is the Broserweight's time to have those titles. I think that uh, Matt Riddle is finally starting to come into his own. I said on a pre-show, I think on uh, Worlds Collide, maybe. I don't know. It was one of the last two pre-shows that Matt Riddle came in with all this potential and really hadn't done anything. And that's true. I think that this is the first time having Pete Dunn there as his odd couple partner, you know, doing the Bobby Fish stuff, doing the skits on the plane and everything. People are enjoying it, the innuendo jokes, having them be the tag team champions. I think it's a good thing. I think it's uh, fresh blood for NXT. I think it adds uh, weight to Matt Riddle and Pete Dunn. And, uh, and yeah, I think, it's the, I think it's the right time for it. So I was glad that that happened. I thought it was weird that they got attacked in the aisle way because Tegan Knox had just gotten attacked in the aisle way of like two matches before that. But um, I thought, I so I thought that was good timing. I thought the Balor Gargano was match of the night. I thought the most significant portion of the night was the Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, Charlotte story. I mean, this is history in the making, and I thought it was made to seem like it was history in the making, like it was a huge deal. I like that they have officially announced that it's a WrestleMania match. It's not like Charlotte's going to win the Royal Rumble and she's coming to take over, because that was one of those things. Like, is that what's going to happen? I don't know. Um, But it's, yeah, now that it's official, and, you know, I thought that you had to have, if, if Rhea Ripley's going to go to WrestleMania, and defend the title against Charlotte, she can't squeak by Bianca Belair. She has to beat her. It can't be a disqualification. She has to just win the match. Uh, I think it leaves fans wanting more from Bianca Belair. I think there are a lot of fans that want Bianca Belair involved in that match at WrestleMania. You know, I think Bianca Belair is in a position to kind of get that Becky Lynch build, but in NXT, and I think that's a good spot for her to be in. I think uh, leaving fans wanting more with Bianca Belair is probably being done on purpose, being done successfully, and I think it's the right move. Um, so I I was pretty happy with the way all of that went and having Charlotte come out, but have her come out after the match. You know, a lot of times you see that same thing happen, but Charlotte comes out and interrupts the match. That way you don't have a winner, you don't have a loser, blah, blah, blah. The fact that we have a concrete, here's who won, here's who lost, and now she goes to WrestleMania. I thought that was the right move. And then Adam Cole versus Ciampa. Look, maybe I'm spoiled from takeovers, but I thought it was a great match. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they put it all out there. I just thought it was a lot. I thought it was a little much. With all of the interference and the title and the Gargano turn and everything that was going on, I thought it was a little much. I think uh, either if you hadn't had the Undisputed Era come out or if you had just had them, like if you had had the Undisputed Era come out, grab the belt, maybe you just have Roderick Strong come out. He grabs the belt, Gargano comes, knocks him out, but then hits Ciampa with the title. I think you could have gotten the same thing done, but it would have been succinctly and it might have made a bigger impact. Not to say it didn't make a huge impact, not to say I'm not looking forward to more Gargano-Ciampa matches and the fact that we now have, you know, we thought that rivalry was complete. We didn't realize only Chapter 1 is complete. We're left in a real good position. 
You know, I love that the Undisputed Era just looks victorious. And, you know, you get out of that okay with the fact that Ciampa lost. He can now go to this Gargano-Ciampa rivalry still as if he's a world champion because he got screwed out of the match like two or three times in a single match. That's the other thing. You only really need to cost him the match once. You don't need to cost him the match that many times. And nitpick, and you know I've talked about it before on the show, no more low blows in any matches ever. I've just seen them so much. No more low blows. But aside from the nitpicking, I, I would rank this takeover super high. I thought that other than my little nitpicking, the Ciampa Cole match is great. Uh, the story that was told with Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, Charlotte, incredible. Balor and Gargano was, I mean, that's a match of the year candidate. Having the Broserweights get the tag titles was the right move. You know, so it was so much going on. So I thought that it was a step in the right direction for NXT as a solo show. Um, and it definitely left me looking forward to Wednesday and going like, I want to see what happens next, which is the right move. Which is the right move. I think it'll be uh I think it'll be good. Let me get to some uh emails. Let me see if any of y'all have been typing in on the Discord room. Don't forget if you want to be a part of this uh Discord room, you can watch the show live. You can also uh get the show early and ad free and get the Thursday show exclusively as a member on Patreon. Um let's see. Uh da, 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 da. front row. How many uh, episodes of Ruthless Aggression were filmed? Episode one was incredible. I, I think on the WWE website, they list the episodes. I think there's six or seven. Um, Triple H. Oh, and I think Mansoor was unfairly critical of you last night. He clearly doesn't value an honest opinion. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. He got a little ahead of himself. Um, Triple H said on the post show that Bianca wasn't done with the story yet, and we should stay tuned. Do you see that being a triple threat? with Charlotte, Rhea, and Bianca. Uh, also, the send-off that Triple H and Undisputed Era did for Kathy was amazing. Yeah, it was. I saw that very emotional moment for uh, young Kathy Kelly. Um, I don't know if Bianca Belair is going to be involved in a triple threat match. Number one, that feels very, very similar to last year's WrestleMania. But number two, it also takes away a little bit of the shine from Rhea. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe they will do a, a takeover in, in Tampa Women's Championship match. Maybe Bianca Belair will get a rematch. Maybe they'll be able to tell a story where we don't know. We'll find out on Saturday who goes into WrestleMania on Sunday. That's a possibility. Um I think that that's more about Bianca Belair is not done being a main eventer in the women's scene in NXT or WWE in general. I think that's more what that's about. I think that that is saying, look, this isn't Bianca Belair being moved back down the totem pole. This is what had to be done to get to WrestleMania. But clearly... Bianca Belair is is a bigger star walking into takeover, walking out of takeover than she was walking in. Uh, one of the comments left on the Patreon page. Uh, this is coming off of last week. Joey says, "No way the Bellas deserved the Hall of Fame. Maybe the celebrity wing, based on Sam's take, they're getting in based on their e shows." That's not what I said. 
Maybe Nikki, since she achieved a little more in the ring, but come on, man, they were not, if they were not twins or and married or engaged to actual Hall of Famers, they wouldn't be anything but eye candy. Does Botchamania have a Hall of Fame? That's more realistic. That's a little silly, Joey. You know, that's one of those takes that, like, might have been true when the Bellas first showed up. But, you know, to, to keep having that take now, to look at their entire career and not see it as a Hall of Fame career, you got your eyes shut, man. That's super short-sighted. That makes no sense what you're saying. You know, the 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 Bellas the Bellas ex- exemplified an era and coming out of of an era and evolving into a new era for women. You know, I, I the mainstream appeal aside, even if they weren't that mainstream famous, they would still be Hall of Famers. You know, you can't. It's ridiculous to do the eye candy argument in 2020. Like, again, maybe when they first showed up and there were lingerie models wrestling, yeah. But the fact that they actually learned how to wrestle, and it has nothing to do with who they're married or engaged to. That's like, I don't know. I don't know where you're coming from, man. I think that's silly. Um, Gordon, only been listening to the podcast for a couple months. Thank you, uh... Didn't hesitate on paying for the Thursday edition either. I appreciate that. Um, can I ask, as an admitted impact, Mark, your thoughts on Jordan Grace and her potential on NXT? A very unique style due to her physique. Uh, cheers from Gordon from Glasgow, ICW forever. I am a big Jordan Grace fan. I'm so glad you wrote in about her because I really think that Jordan Grace can do whatever she wants. I mean, I, I kind of look at Jordan Grace almost the way I looked at, at Jeff Cobb. Like, this is somebody who is just potential right now. I mean, I think if Jeff Cobb were in NXT, he could be built into a monster star. I think if Jordan Grace, I think NXT would be a perfect spot for her. And I think she'd be reinvented into something brand new and, and pretty phenomenal in NXT. So I really hope that Jordan Grace ends up in NXT because, you know, I think, I, I think she's, yeah, she's unique. I love that female, like power lifter look. There's not enough of it. I think she's great. Uh, Gordon also said, uh, oh, that was just a comment on the other thing. Let's go to the emails, notsamwrestling at gmail.com, notsamwrestling at gmail.com. This is from David. Sam, is it just me or has Cesaro become the biggest jobber in WWE? Seriously, the level of talent that Cesaro possesses is ridiculous. What is it going to take for the boys in the back to give him the singles push that he deserves? Yeah, he may not be spectacular with the microphone, but come on. They can even keep Sammy as his mouthpiece. It works with Brock and Heyman. I'm in no way comparing the two. But you know what I mean. Cesaro has put in his time and has earned a shot. One man's opinion. What are your thoughts? It's from David P.S. Ric Flair is God. Um, I don't think he's the biggest jobber in the company. You know, I think that Apollo Crews has something to worry about there. I think that the Singh brothers have something to worry about there. But I do think that related to his potential, he is. Look, I said a while back on the podcast, they need to reinvent the European Championship. Sami Zayn needs to just present it to Cesaro. And then Cesaro needs to defend the European Championship and and evolve it into a working man's title. 
if Cesaro had that European championship, first of all, it would make only too much sense. And second of all, it would go from a prop to a real title because he'd have great title matches for it. And I think, you know, it would end up being something that people really look forward to seeing. So that's what I would do. Uh, let's see, what else? Um, ben. Hi, Sam. As a new father of twins, uh, I'm hoping a dad like yourself can offer any tips for staying on top of the ludicrous amount of TV wrestling each week and raising well-rounded, fully-fed infants. Also, any thoughts on baby tag teams? LOD is tempting, but spikes on shoulders could be problematic. Look, I think babies in face paint is always going to be a good move. Um, people love babies in face paint, but they might rub it off. I was thinking baby demolition, but that could be tough. I think if you put the twins in some camel pants, black tank tops, and little caps, you get some pretty sick bushwhackers out of them. I also think uh, a yellow onesie, a couple of yellow onesies and a little bit of puff paint, and you got Sean and Marty right there. Only reason I would do bushwhackers over the rockers is because the bushwhackers are a unit. And if you do the rockers... One of your twins has to be Sean. One of your twins has to be Marty. And you're going to end up giving somebody a complex. Marty's going to get a complex. You don't want to do that. Um, as far as keeping up with all the wrestling that's on TV, uh, you got to use your nap times and you got to use your nights. Look, I'm in a very good position in the sense that I purposefully made wrestling part of my job so that I can devote this kind of time to it. Um, but I also don't sleep that much. You know, your kids are, what do you say? Uh, he's the father of new twins. Oh, adorable. He sent a picture. Um, once they're a little bit older, they'll be sleeping at night. That gets a little bit easier. Like my kids go to sleep by eight. And then I stay up too late and I watch wrestling. Keep up with everything that way, you know? Um, so that's what I would do. I would utilize the time that they're sleeping. And people go like, that's when you got to get your rest. You make a choice. Because you can't say, you can't go, I don't want to hear you sacrificing your kids for the sake of professional wrestling. You sacrifice your sleep for the sake of professional wrestling. That I'm okay with. Uh, Mike is emailing notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Hey, Sam, hope you enjoyed NXT TakeOver as much as I did. Loved you on the pre-show, even though Portland booed you. I was still cheering you on. How ironic is it? All those years ago, the motto of Not Sam Wrestling was boo the bad guys. And now it's happening to me. And I got to say, your suit looked great as well. Yeah, Mansoor, who wears, by the way, Mansoor made fun of my jacket on the pre-show. Go to Mansoor's Instagram. And count how many suits the guy has. The guy shows up on 205 Live. The guy shows up on kickoff shows. He's wearing the exact same suit every time. How about buy a new suit, Mansoor, before you make fun of mine? Um, my question is, where do you see the story going with Johnny turning heel? Maybe we'll see him join Undisputed Era, or is this just another pointless, uh, already seen start to a Johnny Ciampa feud? Here are some pics of you to enjoy. Oh, thank you. He sent me some pictures. I don't think it's pointless, man. I think, you know, I don't think Johnny Gargano is going to join the Undisputed Era. I think that that would be silly. I think if you're going to do this, you do it. You know, I don't think this lasts a year. 
I think, you know, the idea of having an NXT takeover in Tampa where you've got Adam Cole defending the title. Look, when you've got Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa, a main event anywhere, you can afford to experiment a little with the world title scene. I think there's a possibility that they're going to Tampa with Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa so that they can elevate somebody to the world title scene. I think it is very possible that the Velveteen Dream is finally going to get an NXT world title shot on a takeover in Tampa. And you're looking at Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa, and you're looking at Adam Cole versus Velveteen Dream. Just my thought. I was thinking about it on the plane. My thought of why that could be happening. Glad you guys enjoyed TakeOver. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. If you're a Patreon subscriber, we'll be back on Thursday. If not, we'll be back on Monday. We'll see you then. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.